All right. Amen. If y'all don't mind finding your seat today. Um, I did. What was the question? What was your favorite baseball team? Is that what it was? Honestly, baseball is probably the most boring sport for some of my age. Who thinks baseball is boring here? A couple. Listen, the only, the only people I know that go to baseball games are people who don't want to watch the game and eat food. Like, legitimately. I don't, I don't know one person besides Taka, actually, who gets really excited to go watch a baseball game. Now, hockey. If you've ever seen hockey games live, there are, they are amazing. Uh, but anyways, I have the honor to be here today, and honestly, I am extremely excited today um, and, and just humbled to be here today. I was, I've been talking to a lot of people, and uh, one of the things that I do by myself that no one, you know, Taka talks about journaling. What was the app again? Day one. Day one. I, don't, I journal a little bit differently in the sense that I write myself messages, and I know that sounds weird. Where, like, I go to coffee shops, and I go, Lord, what do you want to tell me? And then I'll do an introduction. I go ahead and find verses. And then I write notes to myself. And then I just go back and reread them. And back in the day before Google Docs were created, back in the early thousands, 2002, 2003, I had a Yuho account. I still have it. And in my Yahoo account, I have, like, little subcategories in there of things that I wrote when I was like 17 years old, 18 years old, 19 years old. And one of the things that I was doing uh, around December, I was listening to, to some hip-hop music. And there was this guy named 50 Cent, and some of you are familiar with 50 Cent. But there's a song called 21 Questions. Uh, you know, I love the song. It's on my playlist. It's, it's just, you know, it's a cool song, nice beat. But I thought to myself, well, what if I had 21 questions? What would be those 21 questions? So I literally created a four-point sermon, not even a point sermon, for sermon, like every Sunday there was a message that I was preaching to myself, and today we're going to investigate two of those questions. Uh, the first one that was on my list, and I'm not going to preach to you today, but if you want the notes, I don't mind sharing them with you. The first question was, what do you do when you've been praying about something and God doesn't answer your prayer? And a, a subcategory to that was, not only that, but what do you do when God has given you a promise and you haven't received it. And, and I, I, it was through the angle of Abraham, through the angle of Sarah. And honestly, I, I, I cannot tell you strongly enough how deep that message was for my wife and I. And how meaningful that was going to be in the season that we're entering and everything else that we're going about it. And so if you want those notes, I don't mind sharing it. But I want to mention that because honestly, these questions are very personal questions to me. And I think sometimes it's really important to be seen and be heard. And know that there is a God who sees these things and know that there is a God who does answer these questions. So um, one of the, so as we go through this, we are entering uh, the greatest kids. That's the new series that we're in. And if we're not careful with these type of topics, is that as soon as we hear the name of Jesus, oftentimes because we talk about Jesus so often, his value diminishes just a little. We turn off, when we talk about God's love or God's grace, we immediately assume that we know everything about it, so we kind of just lose interest. So when we talk about David, and if you've been in church long enough, you have heard David and Goliath over and over and over again. And if we're not careful with these, with these type of stories, we miss the little details that make the biggest of difference. And so they have two questions for you that I would like to tackle through Moses and through Elijah. First question is this, what do you do? When God tells you to do something, but you feel inadequate. What do you do when God calls you to do something and you feel like it's, you're not enough? 
And, you know, we, we hung out in a small group this past week, and we were talking about Pastor Taka's message. And one of the things that came over, came, came in our conversation over and over again is the, one of the lines that he said, that pain unites us more than what comfort does. And I think if I were to ask you today, and I'm not going to do it, but if I were to ask you just personally, you, personally for you speaking, I'm pretty sure that a lot of us have felt this. We know we have felt the, the, the inadequacy of serving the Lord because we feel like we're not enough or because of our past or because, you know, we're not here. We don't got that degree, whatever it may be. But I feel like this question has, is one of those questions that I know I've learned to answer along the way. And I'm getting a little bit better. So we're going to start this off by reading Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 and 4. And it says this. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. If you want to do a deep study, deep study that and see how many wonderful things happen at this location. There are angels of the Lord, the angels of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared, stared in amazement, though the bush was engulfed with flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. What is in the, why isn't the bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, responded Moses. And what I love about this story, especially the genesis of the call of, of, of Moses' call, was that he was doing something that we normally do every single day, and that is work. He's living his life, doing, the, doing what he would normally do on a Monday, doing what he would normally do on a Tuesday. For us, it means maybe getting stuck on the five freeway. For me, that means an hour-long commute from, from work to my house on the 91. It means a lot of things for a lot of us, but I think sometimes we are looking for the amazement. That We're looking for the amazing things. We're looking for God's big things in the four walls of this church. But in Moses' case, it doesn't happen in a church. It happened outside of the church. It happened when he was living his life. He encountered God as he was taking care of his flock. He encountered God as he was doing his everyday thing. Can we encourage you over and over again, boys, to carve out time with personal, with your personal time with the Lord. The reason so many amazing things happen here is because we purposely carve out an hour and a half to come in here and we try our best to encounter the Lord. We try our best to engage him. We try our best to like not have distractions when we are listening to the message. And the reason why God answers prayers and the reason why you feel so loved and you feel so forgiven is because you carve time on a Sunday. Imagine what would my life look like and what would your life look like if we are doing this every single day to the best of our abilities. Listen, I am a school teacher and you know all of this. I'm not going to stop and I'm doing my math lesson and have a moment with the Lord. You know and I know that I will get fired. If I have a moment with the Lord as I'm in the middle of work, but you definitely have 20 minutes. You definitely have 10 minutes outside of work as you're driving to connect with the Lord. Because Moses' story started with him doing what he was typically do on a week-to-week basis. And secondly, he was able to acknowledge and he was able to recognize the Lord's voice. So often we go, Pastor Taka, Pastor Natalie, do you hear the voice of God? Now, I'm not going to speak for them. But oftentimes, it's not that we hear the voice of God. What happens is that we get a little bit better of being obedient. We get a little bit better of doing what God has called us to do. And as we walk our calling and as we walk in obedience, we know that God is with us because the fruit that God is producing through us is fruit that reflects him. It's not that we hear this big, booming, audible voice. It's that honestly, we try. We try. 
We try to connect with the Lord. We try to carve a time on our day. We have families. You have families. I have work. You have work. God will honor whatever time you are able to carve out for him where you can read the word, where you can recognize his voice, where you can acknowledge that you're standing on holy ground. Because for Moses, it didn't happen in the four walls of the church. It happened outside of that. And as he hears the voice, we get to verse 7. And of Exodus chapter 3, it says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Now, Egypt represents slavery. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. In a different translation, it says, A land flowing with milk and honey. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Again, as we listen to the story, he's calling Moses. Moses recognizes his voice. And now the Lord has given him a mission. He's like, yo, I have seen the cry of my people. I have seen their hurt. I have seen how much they've been mistreated. I have seen the oppression. They've been living in slavery, not just for one year, generation to generation. And now their own kids are being born into slavery. And he's looking at Moses. Moses, I am sending you. I am sending you to go to Egypt. Now listen to Moses' response. But Moses protested, like many of us. Who am I to to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? He made this about himself. He, he made the fatal um, error to compare himself to Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh is a person of influence. Pharaoh is a person of power. Pharaoh has different salary. Pharaoh has a different tax bracket. Pharaoh has a bigger yard. Pharaoh has a nicer car. Whatever Pharaoh it is to you, we have compared ourselves to the people that oftentimes God has called us to do. And if I was honest, this has been my biggest issue of voice. This, comparing myself to the people who are leading. Comparing myself to the people that Pastor Taka and Pastor Natalie, and people like Joe, and people like everyone who's leading here who I look up to and respect. And so often I have felt inadequate. Lord, I didn't go to college degree. I mean, I do have a college degree, not a, not a Christian degree. Lord, I, don't, I didn't study the same thing that Pastor Taka might have studied. And here is Moses. Lord, who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? I don't got what it takes, Lord. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And then secondly, Lord, who am I to lead your people? Now, let me give you some context here. Moses, at this point, was a running, was a running criminal. Not only was he a running, he was, he was a criminal, but homeboy had literally killed somebody in the previous couple of chapters. So here we have Moses. Lord, you're calling me a murderer? And you want me to go talk to Pharaoh? You want me, Lord, to go back to Pharaoh and say, yo, everything that runs your economy, the Lord is telling me to like, hey, never mind. Change the way you do business. Now let everyone go. And Lord, who am I? They know that I've killed somebody. They know, can't you see my past? And I think some of us do the same thing with the Lord. Lord, not only do we compare ourselves to the people that we're about to serve, but then we go, Lord, if you just simply look at what I did yesterday. If you take a look at the darkest of moments in my life and my seasons, Lord, you and I know that I'm not worthy to serve you. 
And as we keep going, we find a Bible verse in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. It says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all of the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all of the glory, all of the power to him forever and ever. Amen. Super simple. What God is asking Moses and what God is asking from us is to do whatever he's called us to do and do it to the best of our abilities. I am here legitimately trying my best to speak as though God is speaking through me. And for us who, who serve kids in the children ministry, some of you have the gift of patience. Some of you have the gift of, of making people feel loved. Some of you have the gift of hosting, and you host so well, and you serve us so well as if God is doing that through you. The reason why people experience God's love and God's mercy and God's forgiveness is because someday, a long time ago, a Moses in your life went to you and spoke life to you and served you well and loved you as though the Lord was loving you through them. Our lives have been changed and marred because people have stood up and decided to take on their call like Moses did. And though they, had, they probably felt inadequate and maybe they felt like they weren't doing enough and maybe they felt like they didn't have the right words, but because they were trying their best to serve one another, love one another, your life and my life has been changed for the better. Our trajectory has changed. The way that we're, where, where we're going to end our lives have changed. Our marriages have changed. Our children's have changed because somebody a couple of weeks ago, somebody a couple of months ago decided to say, Lord, I may not be, I may not be able, I may not be worthy to serve Pharaoh, and I may not be anybody to serve you, but Lord, whatever I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do it as if you are doing it through me. Through me. So if you're here and you're asking yourself, what do you do when God has called you to do something and you feel inadequate or you feel like you're not enough? Just trust in the Lord that he will be with you because that's exactly what he told Moses. When we get to chapter 4, verse 10, it says, but Moses pleaded and went from protesting. Now he's begging the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And then we get to verse 11, the response. And the Lord said to Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you. And you will hear this variation over and over and over again. As you read the Old Testament, every time he cuts somebody and calls somebody and sends them away, he'll say something like, don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't you worry about it. I am with you. Every time he calls somebody and sends them out, he'll say something like this. I am with you. You may feel inadequate, but we are complete with the Lord. You may feel like you're not enough, but God is giving you more than you need. You may feel like your story doesn't matter, but God is giving you a God story. You may think that you can't compare to the people that you're serving, but you are more than enough because the Lord has called you and has placed a passion inside of your life. And all he needs from all of us, every single one of us, is the willingness to serve one another 
as if we are serving the Lord through us, as the Lord is serving us, serving you through us. That, took a, that, that was the mouthful there. Holy moly, it's all he wants is effort. It's effort. I think we all have that. You know, and I hope that there, there's no guilt and condemnation. I just really want to encourage you because for us, reading passages like these have been encouraging and life-giving. Listen, the Lord says that he heard the oppression. And, and there are people here literally today and outside of the walls, whether it's a homeless crisis, whether it's marriage crisis, whatever it may be, you literally are somebody's prayer. You saying yes to the Lord today is somebody answer prayer tomorrow. And I don't mean that lightly. It's legitimate. And so as we move on, question number two. So what do you do when God tells you to do something and you're afraid? And let's talk about it through Elijah. Now, I love Elijah. I grew up, grew up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in a very charismatic background. And verses like these remind me of my youth. Remind me when we sing songs about the rain coming down. Reminds me of the times where we were singing about the altar and having quote-unquote altar calls and encounter with the Lord. Those have been moments that have marked my life for the better. And so I was, as I was reading this, I, I was taken back 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when my wife were doing ministry outside of voice. And these were kind of, these were the type of verses that I can simply camp all night long because there's so many beautiful things in here. But I'm not going to camp only on one part. But the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 17 that there was a name, a guy named Elijah who had prayed a prayer and said, Lord, I want you to stop the rain. Can you imagine praying a crazy prayer like that? Lord, don't let it rain any longer in Norris County. Lord, don't let it rain any longer and, you know, wherever you may be. That was the prayer he prayed and the Lord heard it. He goes, okay, cool. There will be no more rain. So we get to 1 Kings chapter 18. And it says, later on in the, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, now go and present yourself to King Ahab, which was not a good dude. Tell him that I will send the rain. The rain is coming and it's a good thing and I wish I had another 20 minutes to explain and unpack all of that but just know that there's spiritual implications as much as there are physical implications the rain is coming so then I'm not going to read the whole chapter but if you were to read verses 22 to 24 it says that Elijah goes to the king and says hey there are 450 prophets that believe in your God and I think I'm the only one left so how about we have a prayer battle you pray and I'm going to pray and whichever God responds that is the true God again can you imagine going to whoever whoever your friend is who believes in something completely different than you and say hey how about you pray to your God how about I pray to my God and we're going to pray for something that hasn't happened in years and if your God answers I will honor your God but if my God answers you will honor my God that's that's the situation that we're in so they go first they're praying they're doing their thing and I will read the next verse because I think it's hilarious it says that in verse 27 about noontime Elijah began mocking them it says, you have to shout louder. Now, here's why. For surely he is God. Perhaps he's daydreaming. So why don't you scream louder so he can stop daydreaming? And then he says, oh, he's relieving himself. And if you were here last week, there's another dude who might have been stuck in a toilet. So why don't you just scream louder? And then it says, or maybe he's away on a trip or he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So clearly he knows, Elijah knows that his God, our God, the God that we serve, he's going to answer the prayer because he already told them, the rain's coming. The rain's coming. 
So we get to verse 30 to 35, and it says, And Elijah called to the people, Come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord. Let me camp here for a second. Because here there's a lot of implications. One of which the altar was a place where you would bring a sin offering. Every time you committed a sin, you will go to the Lord and say, Lord, I am genuinely sorry. Accept this offering for us. Jesus already paid the price. So we don't have to do that on a week-to-week basis. But there was an altar. It was a place where you could have honest conversations with the Lord. about the things that you did in the past, and clearly the altars have not been used because they were destroyed. Nobody was repairing them. Nobody, at least in this particular context, was quote-unquote worshiping the Lord. So the very first thing that he did, and this is important for the next part of my message, is that he repaired the altars of the Lord. Number one, and as we continue to read, it says, he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill for large large jars with water and poured the water over the offering. And he did this a couple of different times. And then we get to verse 36, and it says, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. Prove that all that I've done, all of this, prove all of this so these people will know that you, O Lord, our God. And the reason why you started here is to build the case that Elijah was a man of God. Clearly, he can pray. Clearly, the Lord listens. And clearly, the Lord does things, does things through him. The Lord is backing him up 100%. Can you imagine, again, standing in front of thousands of people and praying a prayer that sounds crazy? And then for the Lord to come through and answer it, the faith that it requires, the prayer life that it requires, the life choices that it requires. And so we get to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 and 3, and it says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, just as you killed them. Now listen to verse 3. Because if I'm reading this, and I read everything of the previous chapter, my inclination will be that Elijah will go, yo, my God, my God who brought the rain yesterday, my God that answered the prayers that he has, I can see you're mad, I can see that you're upset, but my God got me. But instead what you hear is Elijah was afraid and even fled for his life. Now, he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. He's so afraid that now he's leaving the people behind that were serving alongside of him. He's so afraid of what's going to happen to him that the first thing he did was alienate himself from the people that cared for him. And then it says that he went on alone into the wilderness. So now he removed all of his friends. He's going to journey this life alone. And then it says that he traveled all day and he sat down under a solitary broom tree. Like just the imagery. So afraid that he has left everything behind. His friends. Now he's going by himself. And now he's looking for a lonely tree to sit under. And then he's prayed that he might die. I have had enough, 
Lord, he said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough, Lord. And the crazy thing about this for me is that I have convinced myself over and over again at times. In fact, we've had this conversation in my small group a couple of days ago. And as I was preaching this mess, I felt like the Lord was speaking through me again. But the crazy thing about this passage for me, that even though he left all those things behind, he left his friends, and now he's walking away, listen to what the Lord said. In verse 5, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. In verse 7, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So often we convince ourselves that when we're having a moment, then we're going through a tough season, when we're walking away from the Lord, at least what it appears like, the beautiful imagery is that God still cares. God still cares. He left it all behind. He's walking away in the wilderness. He's finding the loneliest of trees. And through his prayer, he says, Lord, I've had enough. I can no longer do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore, Lord. You know, as soon as I do something amazing for you, and I know that you've used me, and I know it's not me, I know it's you. But as soon as I do something, it feels like there's always in a position someone who stands up. And clearly, Lord, I'm the only one left because everyone else has been murdered. He has a valid reason to be scared. And even though he is with the Lord, and even though the Lord is with him, he is terribly afraid of being killed because everyone else has been murdered. Everyone else has been eliminated. And the moment that Elijah feels like he's letting everything go and he can no longer do what God has called him to do, what did God do? Hey, I know you're hungry, man. Here's some food. And he goes back to sleep. Hey, I know you're tired, but I know where you're going. And we're going to read that next. I know where you're going. And I need you to be fed. For your journey is long. Wakes him up again. And then we get to verse 9. There he came to a cave where he spent the whole night. He found the darkest room to hang out in. The darkest room. And then the Lord asks him a simple question in verse 10. What are you doing here, Elijah? Plug in your name. What are you doing here, Raphael? What are you doing here, Kathy? And now listen to his response. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, tore down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they try to kill me too. Now who are the Israelites? These are the same people the Moses through God freed out of slavery. These were the Christians of the time. These were the Christ followers. These were people like you and me. The same people that God freed from slavery. The same people that God used Moses to free them away from oppression. Take them into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. They have gone so far out out of God's will that now these are the same people who are killing the prophets. The same people who are destroying the altars. So when homeboy over here says, I've had enough, 
It's like, Lord, the people you're calling me to serve, they don't even love you. The people that you're calling me to serve, they want nothing of you. In fact, all they want to do is kill me. Kill me. No wonder he wants to leave everything behind. No wonder he's leaving his servant behind and walking this journey by himself because to him, maybe being by himself is better than living under the stress, under the fear that he may be the next one down. Now listen to this. The, the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 and 13, Now go out, he tells, tells him. Stand before me on the mountain. And, uh, and as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, after the earthquake there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Gentle whisper. So often, we want the experience of Moses, where the Lord comes in a super amazing way. That's what Moses needed. But what Elijah needed was the gentleness of the Lord. The gentle whisper. So when we start out by saying, hey, carve out time for the Lord, it's for moments like these. Moments where you're able to recognize his gentle whisper. When you feel like nothing makes sense. When you feel like you've done all that you can to serve the people well. There will be a time where you get tired, you get scared. And that scariness may look a little bit different for a lot of us. But I feel like God is asking some of us, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are we in this cave, Elijah? I will continue to provide for you. I know it's scary. I know it's uncomfortable. But just like I told Moses, I will be with you. I'm going to be with you as well. So as we enter this next portion of our service and we go into worship, we really want to pray with you today. If any of these two questions have legitimately spoken to you, there's going to be a prayer team over here. And honestly, we will love nothing more but to pray with you. Lord, we just want to say thank you and worship you, Lord, for just being so good to us, Lord. If anything else, Lord, if there's one thing that I want all of us to remember, is let's serve you, not you, let's serve your people as if you are serving them through us, Lord. I know, Lord, that if we do that simple thing, everybody inside this room and everywhere we go, We'll always be, we'll always know that there is a God that is out there who cares for them. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that has wrestled with any of those two questions, I pray that you will encourage them. I pray, Lord Jesus, if there's anybody who feels inadequate, that they would truly believe that you are with them. That it doesn't matter if they have the, the, the proper professional training. It does, and not, not that it doesn't matter. I know it does, Lord. That stuff matters too, but you matter. Your calling matters. Your encouragement matters too. Lord, if there's anybody in this room, Father, who is afraid to simply do what you called them to do, and if they walked away, Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, they can find their way back to you. Because as the Bible, as, as we finish out this portion, Lord, the last thing you told Elijah was, cool, now go the same way you came. Let us go, Lord, the same way we came, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.